now to Acts. Paul, at this point in the story, has been in prison in Caesarea for two years. Two years doesn't seem like that long of a time in some ways. If you were told you have two years left to live, those two years would feel really short. Uh, If you got to, you know, live on a private island in Hawaii for two years, those two years would feel really short. But when you've been in prison, two years is a long time. And so I want to paint that picture because as we go into this transition from Acts 24 to Acts 25, for us, it's one verse to another. It's maybe not even one page to another. One, it's just one paragraph to another. For us, it's an instant. For Paul, the gap between Acts 24 and 25 was two years in prison. Think of the thoughts that he's thought for two years in prison. The difficulty that he's experienced for two years in prison. Even though he's been given freedom, and, and, and it's, not, it's not by any means the worst um, imprisonment that one could face. We saw that at the end of Acts 24. But still, two years in prison, what does that do to a person? Well, let me just recap how, how we got there. We saw in Acts 24, Paul's trial before Governor Felix. The Jews brought their case against Paul. Paul defended uh, and, and responded to those accusations by focusing on really the heart of what this was all about, which is the resurrection, the doctrine of the resurrection. So even though the accusers brought their claims, Paul brought his defense, and then came uh, the time for a verdict, Governor Felix did not give a verdict. He postponed his decision, even though he believed Paul to be innocent. He postponed his decision as a favor to uh, the Jews, and Two years later, when Felix left office, Paul was still in prison. And so that's how we've gotten to this point that we're at today. And our story that begins in Acts 25.1 begins at the end of those two years when Felix has left office. So today's sermon is going to be just a little bit different. We're going, to be covering, we're going to be covering quite a long section of Scripture. We're going to cover Acts 25 and 26. And so instead of reading all of that at the beginning, uh, we're going to read it in sections as we go along. Uh, but for now, we're just going to read the first 12 verses of Acts 25. So if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? Acts 25, verses 1 through 12. Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, Let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. 
Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. At a very basic level, all of Acts 25 and 26 are basically trying to answer this question. Why is Paul on trial? In a lot of ways, Acts 24 and Acts 23 were answering a same kind of question. What is this about? So, This new governor, Festus, is trying to figure out to Paul, why are you here? Paul is trying to explain why he's here, as we'll see. And and from an earthly perspective, we get a couple of answers. First, Paul was on trial not because of any law-breaking. See that already in just the verses we've read. But from an earthly perspective also, we'll see that Paul was on trial because he preached an unpopular biblical message. So that's from an earthly perspective. But what we're going to see is that from the perspective of heaven, the reason why Paul was on trial was because Jesus wanted him to testify about him there and to those people. This is not just an unfortunate situation that Paul found himself in that he's kind of trying to redeem by using it as an opportunity to share the gospel. No. This was an occasion that Jesus set up for a purpose so that Paul could be his representative, his witness, and testify about him to those people in in that place. And did you know That as followers of Jesus, that's true of our lives as well. Our lives are not just a random string of events that we're trying to make the most of. No, our lives are purposefully orchestrated by Jesus. The people in our lives are placed there by Jesus. The occasions we find ourselves in. We're placed there by Jesus. He sovereignly places us in situations so that we may testify about how he has changed our lives and how he can bring transformation to others as well. So as we look at Paul's testimony and his carrying out his role as a witness, my prayer for us today is that we would grow in our role as witnesses as well those who are called to testify to the life-changing power of Jesus. Well, so a moment ago, we read the story of Paul's trial before Festus in verses 1 through 12. 
So just three days after taking office, this new governor of the province of Judea, Festus, goes from Caesarea up to Jerusalem. And he meets with the Jewish leaders there, and they bring up the case of Paul, this unsettled matter from two years ago. And they said they wanted a trial in Jerusalem. Well, that's what they said, but really they wanted him to be transported to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush on the way. But Festus hears this and insisted on hearing them and hearing Paul back in Caesarea rather than bringing him down to Jerusalem. So the Jews came and they brought their charges, but they couldn't prove their case because it wasn't true. And as we saw, Paul testifies that he was innocent of all law-breaking, both Jewish law and Roman law. So, you know, same song, different verse, right? But like the last governor, Felix, this new governor, Festus, wanted to do the Jews a favor. He's new in town, trying to build political clout. He wants to do the Jews a favor. So Festus asks Paul if he wants to be tried in Jerusalem, which is what the Jews wanted. But Paul says, hey, listen, I'm being tried where I ought to be tried. Like, this is the right procedure. I'm where I ought to be. And so at this point, Paul knows something is fishy. Something is going on, and so he knew if he was going to get a just trial, he was going to have to go above Festus's head, and so he appeals to Caesar. Uh, so this was something that Roman citizens were given the privilege of, uh, of, of having. If they believed that they were not being treated fairly, well, then they could appeal to the emperor and be tried by uh, Caesar himself. And if a Roman citizen did appeal to Caesar, then any lower-ranking Roman official could not do anything about it but send him to Caesar. Uh, so the, uh, the, the lower-ranking Roman official couldn't stop it, couldn't uh, then you know, give him a, a different trial or put him in prison or, or put him to death. He had to send him to Caesar. So appealing to Caesar was sort of like a, a trump card. It's, it's like going to the Supreme Court. It's the, 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 where's the end of the line? For Roman justice, it was with Caesar. So, because basically his hands were tied at that point, Festus agreed to send Paul to the Roman emperor who was Nero at the time. Well, so what we're going to see next is that Festus, as he is dealing with Paul, uh, receives a visit from Herod Agrippa II and his sister Bernice. So Agrippa was a Jewish ruler, but he was appointed by the Romans uh, and given a certain amount of power by the Roman Empire. And Festus uh, is going to get Agrippa's help in how to deal with Paul. So let's look at that in verses 13 through 27. Now, when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix, and when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had an opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So, when they came together here, I made no delay. But on the next day, took my seat on the tribunal, 
and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then, at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. So in this section, Festus tells Agrippa basically all the things we just saw that happened at the beginning of Acts 25. And at this point, Festus again can only do one thing with Paul. Ultimately, Festus has to send Paul to Caesar. So it's not like he's trying to figure out what to do exactly, but he's in a tough spot because as he sends Paul, he has to write an official report to Caesar to explain why this prisoner is being held, why this prisoner is on trial. But Festus admits he didn't find anything deserving death in Paul. This was all about Jesus, who Paul claimed to be resurrected. Again, it all comes back to the resurrection. Even this secular governor, Festus, recognizes that. But if he sends him to Caesar, Nero, without any serious charges, he's going to look foolish in the eyes of the emperor. I mean, Festus, why couldn't you handle this on your own? Why did it have to come to me, right? So Festus lets Agrippa question Paul, and this gives Festus the opportunity to get some more information to put in his official report. And that leads us to Paul's testimony before Agrippa. So all of Acts 26 is Paul's testimony before Agrippa. It's this opportunity that Paul takes to testify on the occasion of Festus trying to figure out what he's going to put in his official report. Now, before we get to Acts 26 and look at that, I want to remind you of something that Jesus said to his disciples that Luke recorded back in Luke 21, verses 12 and 13. Jesus said this, But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, 
delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This, Jesus says, will be your opportunity to bear witness. So what is happening in Acts 25 and 26 is something Jesus said would happen. And what Jesus said was to be the mindset of his disciples when those occasions came up. Think of this. Recognize this as your opportunity to bear witness. Paul is standing before King Agrippa and Governor Festus. And he takes this as an opportunity to testify, to bear witness. Look with me at verses 1 through 11 of Acts 26. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now, I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme, and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So, After addressing Agrippa and and kind of getting this speech going, Paul begins in verses 4 through 8 with really what is a summary of the whole speech he's going to give. He starts by talking about how from an early age he was dedicated to the scriptures. And then he he goes on to talk about his early days uh, before he knew uh, Jesus. But he says from an early day or from early days, he was dedicated to the scriptures, and he says nothing has changed in that regard. He was committed to the scriptures then, and he's even more committed to the scriptures now. He's not less committed or not committed. He's still dedicated to the scriptures, because what Paul is affirming, and what we need to recognize from scripture, is that Paul did not believe something new. Christianity wasn't a new religion invented In the first century, it was the fulfillment of everything that God had been doing up to that point. It was the fulfillment of the promises made by the prophets and Moses and all of the Old Testament. So Paul says, all of the old promises of the Jewish scriptures have been fulfilled in Jesus. 
especially the hope of the resurrection. And what we've seen throughout Acts is that this is not just Paul's message. This was the message preached by all of the apostles, uh, that Jesus was the fulfillment of the promises made in the Old Testament. And Paul's going to get back to this at the end of his speech. Uh, But first, before he gets there, he he starts to tell his story in verses 9 through 11 by rewinding the clock and talking about his past as a persecutor of the church. He says basically he was just like his accusers convinced that he needed to be against Jesus of Nazareth. That is, before he met Jesus. He was going even to foreign cities and persecuting Christians. And that leads us to Paul's testimony about his conversion and calling in verses 12 through 18. Paul explains how it was on the way to a foreign city to persecute Christians that Jesus converted him and called him to be his servant. Look at verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins." And a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Paul tells Agrippa the story of his conversion. And we're told more in this version of the story than we've been told about what Jesus said to Paul on the road that day. Jesus said, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Uh, In other words, Paul It is pointless for you to resist the purpose I have for you. I'm prodding you. I'm I'm moving you toward your purpose. And it is futile to try and work against it. What was this purpose that Jesus had for Paul? Jesus appointed Paul as a servant and a witness. The resurrected Lord Jesus revealed himself to Paul. And he would continue to reveal himself to Paul so that Paul would bear witness about this Jesus whom he had witnessed. So that Paul could serve Jesus as a witness by telling others about Jesus. And look uh, more closely there at verses 17 and 18. Jesus sent Paul to tell Jews and Gentiles The good news, the gospel 
the good news that they could be saved from the darkness of living under the power of Satan and sin, and they could be brought in to the light of forgiveness of sins and into the light of belonging to God. And because of Jesus, even Gentiles can have a place among the saints. Anyone from any nation can receive a place among God's people because of Jesus and what he has done as the Messiah. Well, Paul then goes on to talk about the ministry that Jesus called him to. He's talked about how Jesus called him to ministry, and so next he's going to tell how he carried out that ministry that Jesus called him to. And Paul is going to say that his calling and fulfilling his calling is what led him to this very moment with Agrippa. Look at verse 19. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying, both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. So Paul received this call from Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he obeyed. He obeyed Jesus, and he preached repentance, not just to Jews, but also to Gentiles all around the world. We saw that in his missionary journeys, right? Paul would go to the synagogue and call the Jews to repent and trust in Jesus as their Messiah. And then he would leave the synagogue and go out to the Gentiles, and he would call them to repent and turn to Jesus as their Messiah. And it was because Paul was extending this invitation to repent, not just to Jews, but also to Gentiles, that the Jews seized him in Jerusalem. You'll remember one of the accusations made against him was that he was uh, bringing, a Jew, or bringing a Gentile into the temple where he shouldn't be. It was a false accusation, but the reason why it was believable is because Paul was hanging out with Gentiles all the time who had trusted in Jesus. And so that moment, that hostility against his message is what led to this very moment with Paul being on trial. And so Paul tells Agrippa, even on this very day, by God's help, he is standing and testifying about Jesus. He is still carrying out the calling that Jesus placed on his life right there on the road to Damascus that day. And he specifically describes his message that he is carrying as a witness to Jesus. Paul's message was the message that Jesus taught his disciples in Luke 24 after his resurrection. It's the message, again, of all of the apostles in Acts. And it's this message, that all that God promised in 
the scripture about the Messiah has been fulfilled in Jesus. The prophet said the Messiah would die, and Jesus died in the place of sinners. The prophet said the Messiah would rise, and Jesus was resurrected from the dead. The prophet said that the Messiah would proclaim light not only to the Jews, but to all the nations, to the Gentiles. And now the Messiah's mission of proclamation was being carried out through the Messiah's witnesses, like Paul. Even at that very moment, Scripture was being fulfilled by Paul before Agrippa. Well, Paul has given his testimony. And next we see the response to Paul's testimony in verses 24 through 29. Festus interrupts Paul's testimony. Look at verse 24. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, Would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Paul is addressing Agrippa, the king, And the governor, Festus, interrupts Paul. And he tells Paul he's crazy. But Paul keeps his eye on the ball. He is focused on testifying about Jesus to Agrippa. He brings up that Agrippa is fully aware of all that happened with Jesus. He's fully aware of this movement known as Christianity that followed. And after declaring that Jesus fulfilled all the prophets, he puts Agrippa on the spot and he says, do you believe the prophets? Do you believe that these things were said? And do you understand that Jesus has fulfilled them? So Agrippa responds, do you really think you've said enough to convince me to be a Christian? But Paul says, whether I get to say a lot or a little, yes, I pray to God that everyone who hears me would come to know the Jesus that I know. Paul is dead set on testifying. Remember, we've said this multiple times and it bears repeating. Paul does not see himself as a defendant. He sees himself as a witness to Jesus. His job is not to defend himself, defend his honor, defend his reputation. 
His job is to bear witness about Jesus, to testify about Jesus. And so Paul testifies. He wants nothing more than to see God open the eyes of the Jews and the Gentiles before him that very, de- that very day so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified. For Paul, the stakes are higher than whether or not he gets the death penalty. There is something more important than him And it's whether these souls hear the good news about Jesus and receive the life-changing power of the gospel and the transformation that Jesus can bring. That's what Paul wants more than anything. Not just for Agrippa, not just for Festus, but for everybody who's in the audience that day. But sadly, that's not the outcome that happens. Luke gives us the conclusion of this saga in verses 30 to 32. Then the king arose, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Festus, Agrippa, Bernice, all the high officials... They're unanimous. Paul was innocent. And Agrippa says that Paul could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. But actually, actually we know that that's not true. If Paul had not appealed to Caesar, Festus would have sent him to Jerusalem and the Jews would have ambushed and killed him. In God's providence, Paul appealed to Caesar and God would use this to accomplish his purpose of getting Paul to Rome so that he might testify about Jesus there. Look back with me in Acts 23 and verse 11. Acts 23, verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. This is Jesus' plan for Paul, that he would testify about him in Rome. And so we could look from Agrippa's perspective in verse 32 and say, man, this, this man could have been set free if only hadn't been so foolish to appeal to Caesar. And we could think, yeah, the, the problem is that Paul's under arrest and the solution he needs to be set free is to be set free and uh, the obstacle in the way of that solution is that he appealed to Caesar. And this is basically a, a foiled plan, a, a solution that could have happened but never could be. But again, the stakes are higher for Paul than just him being in prison, him being under arrest. This was not a failure. This was success because the goal was not to be set free. The goal was not to defend himself. The goal was to testify. And this is exactly what God was using to fulfill, to carry out the plan that he had for Paul, that he would testify about Jesus even in Rome before Caesar himself. So we've come now to the end of Acts 26. We've walked through all of Acts 25 and the trial with Festus and then Festus telling Agrippa about that trial and then uh, Festus hearing Paul and 
hearing him address Agrippa and testify about his testimony of how Jesus has changed his life. So again, I come back to this question. Why was Paul on trial? That's what Festus is trying to figure out, Agrippa's trying to figure out, what Paul's trying to explain. And like I said at the beginning, in Acts 25 and 26, really Luke gives us multiple answers to this question of why was Paul on trial. And what I'd like us to see is that each answer to that question can teach us a principle about what it means to be a faithful witness. So why was Paul on trial? Number one, Paul was on trial not because of any law-breaking. Paul was on trial not because of any law-breaking. So over and over again, Luke shows us that Paul was innocent. He's already shown us that before Acts 25, but even in the verses that we just read, Paul said he was innocent, Festus recognized he was innocent, Agrippa, Bernice, all the high officials, everyone recognizes Paul was innocent. And this was vital to Paul's testimony. It was vital to Paul's witness. So here's the principle. A faithful witness does not contradict their message with their actions. A faithful witness does not contradict their message with their actions. As witnesses, we carry a message that God has delivered us from darkness, that he has transferred us to the light, that he has delivered us from the power of Satan and to God. And God intends for our conduct to be a living testimony of his transformation that he has brought through Jesus. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. A faithful witness doesn't contradict their message with their actions. It's vital to the message of salvation and transformation that we live out transformed lives. But does that mean that Jesus expects us to make people believe that we're perfect? No, not at all. Our message is that we can receive forgiveness of sins, not that we never had any sins to begin with. We bear witness to the gospel with our actions, not only by doing good deeds, which is certainly true, but also by repenting when we sin and demonstrating that we share the problem of all of humanity, the problem of sin, and that Jesus is doing something about it and has done something about it through his death and resurrection. A faithful witness does not contradict their message with their actions. So the second reason Paul was on trial, Paul was on trial because he preached an unpopular biblical message. So it wasn't because of any wrongdoing, any law-breaking. He was on trial because he preached an unpopular biblical message. So in verses 20 and 21, Paul said that he was calling Gentiles to repent, just like Jesus told him to. But it was for this reason, he says in verse 21, for this reason that the Jews seized him. They didn't like the inclusion of the Gentiles. Well, Paul's message may have been unpopular, 
But it was not new. It was nothing more than Scripture. As Paul said in verse 22, he said, nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. So here's the principle. A faithful witness says not what sounds good, but what the Scriptures say. A faithful witness says not what sounds good, but what the Scriptures say. And nothing but what the Scriptures say. We will always, as witnesses, we will always be tempted to change the gospel to make it more easily digestible. We will always be tempted to change the gospel to make it more easily digestible. Instead of identifying sin as the problem the gospel solves, we may instead offer a solution to a feeling of purposelessness or something a little bit more agreeable as a problem. Instead of identifying the reward of the gospel as being reconciled to God, we may instead promise meaning or happiness. But when we change the gospel to make it more palatable, we lose the gospel. Witnesses do not get to decide what their message will be. The job of a witness is to see and tell, to witness and to bear witness, to see something and say something. A witness's job is to testify to the truth of the gospel. So as faithful witnesses, we will tell a lost and dying world what their actual problem is. It's sin. And we will call a lost and dying world to repentance, however unpopular that message may be. (coughs) And we'll call those who need to follow Jesus to take up their cross and follow him and declare him as Lord, however unpopular that, that might be. So Paul was on trial not because of any law breaking. Paul was on trial because he preached an unpopular biblical message. But finally, Paul was on trial because Jesus wanted him to testify. Paul was on trial because Jesus wanted him to testify. So we saw before how Jesus promised in Luke 21 that he would put his disciples before governors and kings as an opportunity to bear witness. And Jesus also told Ananias in Acts 9.15 about Paul that he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And then Paul, as we read in Acts 26 and verse 22, he said that he was standing before Agrippa that very day because he was fulfilling Jesus' purpose for him to testify. So here's the principle. A faithful witness takes every opportunity to bear witness to the life-changing power of Jesus. A faithful witness takes every opportunity to bear witness to the life-changing power of Jesus. Now this is hard. It's hard for me, and just like I said earlier, this is a message that I'm going to speak to myself, and you can listen in on it. Imagine if we really believed that every moment of our lives was an opportunity to point to Jesus. 
Imagine if we lived as though that were true, that every moment of our lives was a divine appointment given to us by Jesus so that we would point people to Jesus. You know, in any given moment of life, we might think, you know, why? I thought the goal of this moment was to make a sale. I thought the goal of this moment was to buy a cup of coffee. I thought the goal of this moment was to listen to a lecture. I thought the goal of this moment was to pick my kids up. I thought the goal of this moment was to get a haircut. I thought the, the goal of this moment was to watch a game. But actually, this moment is a divine appointment to make much of Jesus. In any and every situation that we find ourselves, we can have confidence that that is a divine appointment to make much of Jesus. And so we can ask, how can I show how weak I am and in need of Jesus? How can I tell about the difference that Jesus has made in my life? How can I make much of Jesus? And in this, may we be driven by the same motive as Paul. May may we be so amazed by what Jesus has done for us that we would say with Paul, I wish everyone had what I have in Jesus. Our lives are purposefully orchestrated by Jesus. He sovereignly places us in situations so that we may testify about how he's changed our lives, so that we may take the opportunities that Jesus has given us. So may we, as we recognize this truth, may we see the opportunities that Jesus has given us, and may we take the opportunities that Jesus has given us, and may we speak nothing but what Jesus has said, and may our actions testify to his transforming power. And ultimately, may we be found faithful as witnesses by our resurrected Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we are here worshiping because you have transformed our lives. Lord, we may not be standing on trial, but we all have a testimony. And every moment of our lives is an opportunity you have given us to make much of Jesus. Lord, may we make much of Jesus with actions that reflect the truth of the gospel. May we make much of Jesus with words that communicate the truth of the gospel. And Lord, may we make much of Jesus in every moment recognizing your sovereignty and your call on our lives to be a servant and witness of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the example of Paul. I thank you for his example of being someone who is the chief of sinners, yet called to be a servant and a witness. Lord, may we walk with that same reality that we have been graciously forgiven of our sins, mercifully transformed by the resurrection power of Jesus. And Lord, we have a testimony to give, to tell the world about the life-changing power of Jesus. It's in his name we pray.